Amen. You guys have the joy of experiencing the formation of a second worship team. And so, uh, amen. Amen. So glad that uh, Emily and Tommy have been sent to us and participating and just uh, enjoyed worship this morning. I need to bring some clarity to something uh, that was shared last week. My, my dad and Gilda um, had shared about the uh, 242 groups and, and uh, 55 plus and other things. And one of the things they talked about last week was the life groups and the life groups meeting at 1030. Uh, they were really clear first service. Second service, they weren't as clear. So I, I got word of some confusion, so I just want to bring some clarity uh, although there's going to be a life group going on at 10.30, we will continue to have a 10.30 service. Uh, the life group is designed to meet after the first service. For those who have worshipped in the first service, that's a time for them to gather together and meet and discuss uh, and have a time of study while we're having this second service. Now, ultimately, as that grows and develops and as your desires become known to us and if anybody steps into leadership, we can actually have a life group for this service as well that could start at 9 o'clock while first service is meeting. And so uh, we don't have any movement that direction yet, but uh, if this group, this service, would like to have a life group as well, kind of what we would classify in the old days as Sunday school, and then we kind of developed into radical discipleship a few years back, um, that if that's a heart's pull, a heart's cry, uh, we want to make that available to you. But uh, just wanted to bring some clarity. We are not going back to one service. We're going to continue to have two. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5. Today's sermon is entitled, An End to Wickedness. An End to Wickedness. How many of you guys like 80s and 90s action movies? I love 80s and 90s action movies. Uh, I think it's because justice wins every time and evil loses. Um, most of them are focused, I mean, we were joking the other day about Hallmark movies, um, how Hallmark movies basically have the same plot, just different bad actors. Um, but it's true of action movies, right? It's the same thing. Like somebody gets disrespected, somebody's girlfriend or wife or child or dog dies, and the government, the local government's inept or, or corrupt or unwilling to do anything, and so you've got to take matters into your own hands and, and make the bad guys pay. As Rambo says, they drew first blood, right? I used that line one time as a kid. Uh, I got into a fight with my sister, and I think it's the only time I can remember actually hitting her. Uh, and so I was in huge trouble. You do not strike a lady, ever. And um, I remember my mom and dad sending me down, and they were confronting me about it. And I said, she drew first blood. <laughs> and my mom looks at my dad. She didn't want me watching the Rambo movies anyway. And she looks at him and says, Rambo, really? <laughs> so... With that said, although I like those movies, they're not a good model for life. Uh, taking justice into your own hands rarely works the way we want it to. They never show in those movies the guilt and remorse of death and destruction that they've caused themselves and, and they've caused others and willing to make the bad guys pay. The truth is, an eye for an eye makes the world blind. But, with that said, we all strongly desire to see justice. We desire to see evil lose and justice win. Corruption, 
to cease and the poor to cease being oppressed. And so we long to see that happen. And and when we live in days like we have been, uh, and we don't see justice, and we see evil, and, and there's oppression going on. We can get really depressed. We can get overwhelmed. And, and I've talked with you, and, and some of you have talked with me as we've struggled through these feelings and emotions of where's God working and moving? Why is he allowing this to happen? Uh, but let me just step out of our passage that we're going to talk about this morning and divert your attention briefly to Romans 12:19, where the word says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. So when we get harmed or wounded, physically, emotionally, even spiritually, so often we let that poison, that wound, that corruption affect the rest of our life. We feel like this person or individuals or situation, it's our job to hold on to our wounds and our pain so that justice can be brought about and we've got a cause to fight for. And God says, no. Give it to me. Give it to me. I got this. So just at the beginning of this message, before I even get into the text, let me just set the tone. Jesus wants you to be free today. All of us have suffered evil. All of us have a cry for justice. Let me just start off by saying it's not our job to make others pay. He wants us to be free. He wants us to live life fully. He doesn't want those things to dictate the rest of our life here on this earth or to affect our eternal destination in a negative way. All right, Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, I looked up. Again, and I saw a scroll flying through the air. What do you see, the angel asked. I said, I see a flying scroll, I replied. It appears to be about 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Then he said to me, this scroll contains the curse that is going out over the entire land. One side of the scroll says that those who steal will be banished from the land. The other side says that those who swear falsely will be banished from the land. And this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I am sending this curse into the house of every thief and into the house of everyone who swears falsely using my name, and my curse will remain in that house and completely destroy it, even its timbers and stones. Now, when I read this passage, maybe I still think like a third grader. I guess I do. But what I think of is what I experienced a couple weeks ago when I was at the beach. You guys ever seen this before? The airplane signs, right? Where you're at the beach and you're hearing the wind and the waves and ah, seagulls and all the rest, and all of a sudden you hear a propeller, right? And there comes this, this biplane or whatever else with a 30, 40, 50 foot sign. And it has messages like on it, like it says, Eat at Joe's or um, 20% off at Sensations or like this one that says, Kate, will you marry me? Why do they do that? Because a message in the sky gets your attention. A couple of years ago, we went to Disney World, and um, someone used a plane to write Jesus Saves in a smoke cloud left behind the plane. As you can see in the picture, I only got Isis, uh, but it did say Jesus Saves. Uh, why would someone take the time to create in the cloud smoke that forms the words Jesus Saves? Because it got people's attention. Maybe someone that day had prayed, I need a sign that you live, God. I need a sign that you can save me. 
And that person was being obedient to the Lord and says, here you go. Let's try our best this morning to step back 25 centuries. I know that's hard. But 25 centuries ago, man did not fly. <laughs> it wasn't until, you know, 100 or so years ago that the Wright brothers did it. So when Zechariah is seeing this flying scroll, and the angel says, what do you see? He's really saying, I see a flying scroll! Like, it's not something common or ordinary like it would be for us. This is huge. At this time, only the things that flew were the things God designed to fly, like birds and bugs. And well, We know not all birds can fly, but that's what he was used to. So a message on a scroll flying through the sky would be completely foreign to a person like Zechariah. But the reason behind it is the same reason why planes fly messages at the beach today. It's important for everyone to see as it was meant for everyone. The flying scroll message is meant for everyone to see because it's a message for everyone. And what's the message from Zechariah? There's a curse. Those that steal will be banished from the land, and those that swear falsely will be banished from the land. Now, most of us, when we see a message that's meant for everyone, we don't want to see a curse, do we? No! None of us want to see a curse. But look at who the curse is directed toward. The liars and the thieves and the land. And so God wants us to know. He wants everyone to know, I'm handing down justice. Now, there's two different reactions you can have to this. If you're the lied to and the oppressed, there's hope. There's hope. <laughs> Message in the sky for everyone to see. The hammer's coming down. The other reaction, if you're a thief or a liar, get out before you're destroyed because the king is coming home. Now, I, I have to apologize to first service. Um, I had somebody ask me, in between services, you know, they said, there's a whole Ten Commandments here. Why these two things? I'm like, thank you for asking me that question. That's a great question, right? Usually in my study, I try to cover all these questions, but I missed this one. So I shared it with her. I'm going to share it with you. Why the liars and the thieves? When God is building and growing something new, nothing destroys growth in the church, or in a godly community more than a lie. And then uh, thieves, especially as he says later, that these are the people that swear that have my name and be working by my name but are acting falsely. He is saying, I'm doing something in your day that is going to be new and profound and life-changing, and I need your trust. And so he's saying, I'm going to create an atmosphere where there is no distrust. And so if you remember into the book of Acts, when we studied it not so long ago, and we had Ananias and Sapphira saying they gave so much money to the church and they really didn't, their real sin was not so much about not giving the full amount. Peter says you could have given whatever you wanted to. The real sin was the lie. You not only lied to me, you lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to the church, and they fell down dead. So I believe that's why that's, this is the message on, on the flying scroll here, is God saying, I'm doing something new that you can trust in, and I'm going to create a new atmosphere among my people where, where the truth stands and the lie is crushed. 
A new thing where people aren't about stealing, they're about giving. All right, that's new for you guys. The other thing that I want to point out here is that it's a specific message to every liar and thief. He says, I'm going into the house of every liar and thief. He knows your address. <laughs> no liar and thief is going to get away with it. So some of us are really good at making lists. Some of us literally make notepad lists of all those that have wronged us. Uh, what was it, uh, the movie Rain Man? Have you guys ever seen the movie Rain Man? Uh, the, the guy, Dennis, uh, what is his name, uh, actor? Uh, oh, it's not, it doesn't matter. All right, anyway, in the movie, he's autistic, and one of the things that he does is he makes a serious injury list. And anybody who's harmed him, he writes it down, and what happened? We make our list, either in our head or down on paper, of everybody that's wronged us, and we're ready to pull it out. Listen, guys, God's list is better. His list is more complete than yours. His Microsoft Excel does not break down. His computer doesn't get corrupted. His list of everyone who's wronged anyone at any time is perfect. You don't have to keep the list. Burn it. Burn it. I know their address. I know where they live. And this list isn't just for everybody outside the church. It's for those even in the church that are liars and those that are corrupt, that bear his name and don't share his character. And so the point of the message is justice is finally happening. God has had enough. How many of you have ever heard of the LeMay leaflets? In World War II, the... Uh, they, were, they were something that were utilized. Um, the Israelis, to this day, utilize this tactic. Uh, they call it roof knocking. But in World War II, the Allied forces would drop leaflets from their planes before bombing cities to warn civilians to get out. It's said that they were dropped uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki before the atom bombs were dropped. And so I'm going to read to you an example of what these LeMay leaflets said. Read this carefully as it may save your life or the life of a relative or friend. In the next few days, some or all the cities named on the reverse side will be destroyed by American bombs. These cities contain military installations and workshops or factories which produce military goods. We are determined to destroy all the tools of the military clique which they are using to prolong this useless war. But unfortunately, bombs have no eyes. So in accordance with the Americans, America's humanitarian policies, the American Air Force, which does not wish to injure innocent people, now gives you warning to evacuate the city's name and save your lives. America is not fighting the Japanese people, but is fighting the military clique, which has enslaved the Japanese people. The peace which America will bring will free the people from the oppression of the military clique and, the, and mean the emergence of a new and better Japan. You can restore peace by demanding new and good leaders who will end the war. We cannot promise that only these cities will be among those attacked, but some or all of them will be. So heed this warning and evacuate these cities immediately. That was their technique, their method of trying to warn people. There's a life-changing thing going to occur, and you need to make a choice or take action. Now, I'm not saying that we, uh, our next Easter Sunday, we rent a plane and we fill it full of papers and we drop it on Morgantown. That might be effect 
effective for some people. But the truth of the matter is we have the same message that's just as true. There's a life-changing event that has already occurred, and you can avoid death for eternity if you receive Jesus Christ. We have the Bible, the oldest, most authoritative book in the world, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so like this sign in the sky, our message is one of there's a choice to be made. Make the right choice. In many ways, the message given to Zechariah was intended to have the same purpose. Four possible responses for those guilty of lying and stealing. Change your ways. You have an opportunity to change your ways. I know your home. I know your address. I'm going to bring judgment. Come and receive grace and be changed and transformed. Or flee. Get out of Dodge. Get out of Israel. Or stay and be destroyed. Even the rocks and timbers of your home are going to be consumed with fire. And for those who have been accused and abused, rejoice because judgment day is here and you are delivered. Judgment day is coming, guys. Christ is returning. Amen? We know it's coming. He's told us it's coming. Now, we don't know the day or the hour, just like these leaflets dropped in Japan. They didn't know the exact day or the hour, but they were forewarned. We have been forewarned. Now, are we living according to the promise that God's Word has given us? Notice that God's judgment falls on every group. He doesn't name some specific country or people group. It's for every liar and thief, whether rich or poor, Israeli or not, male or female. So the message for all of us is repent or get crushed. Doesn't seem like a very tough choice, does it? <laughs> Time's ticking. Zechariah 5, 5 through 11. Then the angel who was talking with me came forward and said, Look up and see what's coming. What is it, I asked. He replied, it's a basket for measuring grain, and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Then the heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket, and there was a woman sitting inside it. The angel said, the woman's name is wickedness, and he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. Then I looked up and saw two women flying toward us, gliding on the wind. They had wings like a stork, and they picked up the basket and flew into the sky. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel. He replied to the land of Babylonia where they will build a temple for the basket. And when the temple is ready, they will set the basket there on its pedestal. Once again, this message is delivered from the sky. And what we've established already is that when it's done in the sky, it's meant for everyone and all to see. That's the point of the sky message. And so Zechariah sees a basket designed to hold grain. It's got a heavy lead lid on it. He's told by the angel that it holds the sins of all the people. And when they lift the lid up, what do they find? This symbol of sin, this symbol of awful wickedness. And, and it's a woman, a woman. And the angel says her name is wickedness and pushes her back in the basket. And, and it's flown to Babylon. So... We who are reading the Bible through a year or two years and we get to a chapter like this, we read this and we think, what is this? I don't know how to interpret this. What's going on here? So I'll do my best to help you with it this morning, okay? What in the world can this mean? Well, first off, the basket was meant for grain. 
but in the basket is no grain. And this tells us that our wickedness and our sin removes God's good blessings for our life. Our sin not only affects us, it affects others, our families, our friends, our co-workers, and it affects the land. And so I tell my kids all the time, I say, I want to bless you. I want to give you every good gift. But it's your choice. If you choose to sin, then you must receive the consequences of your actions, which is a penalty. But as a father, I want to give you good gifts. Guys, if you have lingering sin in your life, and you're wondering why there is a lack of blessings, your sin affects God's ability to bless you. A, a basket meant for grain is filled with the sins of the people and wickedness. The second thing, why a lead lid? I researched this. I learned a lot of things. Lead is a natural byproduct of smelting silver. This was not a common lid for a basket of grain. So you would need a culture rich enough to have silver, rich enough to have enough lead that they could use lead for purposes such as covering grain. And so it would, this heavy lid would be meant to protect what was inside or keep what, what was inside from getting out. And so uh, the greatest producer of lead in the classical era was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would help to bring about the end of some of the wicked practices of the previous empires. So the inclusion of this detail tells us that there is coming an empire of great wealth and power that would bring devastation and destruction, wickedness, help remove it from the land, and, and, and send it to Babylonia. Now, the greatest thing that we know that happens during the time of the Roman Empire is the Roman roads. No. <laughs> the greatest thing that happens during the Roman Empire is normalization of, of, of Greek culture and language. No. It's the coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes during this time period. The greatest rule and reign of all time that is occurring right now, and he will cause wickedness to leave our land. Amen? We got a lot out of a lead lid, didn't we? Why was wickedness represented with a woman? Well, the first ten chapters of the book of Proverbs represents wisdom as a woman, doesn't it? But folly or adult, the adulterous woman also represents sin. And so wisdom is represented as a woman, and our sin and folly is represented as a woman. And so the thing about wickedness is it doesn't take control in your life because it's ugly. If we knew wickedness for what it was, we'd all be like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want that in my life. We allow sin and wickedness into our life because we're attracted to it, because it's appealing. We want it. And so God compares Israel's obedience, even throughout the Old Testament, multiple times, or lack of obedience, to adultery. So it's not strange that wickedness is represented by a woman because sin and wickedness seduces us. It causes us to desire it more than every other good gift that God has for us. 
Now, even in this passage, it's not that God is demeaning women because it's two women with the wings of the stork that take this wickedness out of the land of Israel. But if you'd like to know more about those first 10 chapters of Proverbs, during the early days of COVID, I did an online study called Hearing Voices and Making Choices, but it's still available to you today on our YouTube channel. And so I encourage you guys to, to check that out if you want to. The last thing uh, that I want to point out about this passage, why was the woman in the basket taken to Babylon? Why not Egypt? Why not to the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and drop there? Why Babylon? Well, remember the time period, right? These are the people that are the remnants of those that were taken into exile some 70 years prior. All the heartache and hardship. Can you imagine? I, I know we can't, but let's try to. Let's imagine today you are taken from your home and forced into another nation, removed from your family and friends, you're in a pagan culture, and you're not allowed to worship your God your way. And you're saturated in that culture for 70 years. And you finally get to return home after 70 years of wounds. And it's heartache and bitterness and, and all the things wrong with your life. You can blame on Babylonia for what they did to you. Your list of wrongs. And so here in this passage, God is taking that damage, that trauma, that heartache, and those patterns of destruction, and he says, you're free. You're free. You're free. I'm sending it back from whence it came. I'm wiping it away. You're made new as white as snow. It's out of here. The poison in their veins is gone. So, let's look at this. The first part of this passage is about God bringing judgment on those who are liars and thieves, bringing about the consequences of sin. But we know that's not the core issue, right? The core issue is something much deeper. You can punish people for their wrong actions, but you don't change their heart. That's why you can't legislate morality. You just can't do it. Uh, for my children, as I mentioned earlier, when they uh, sin or do wrongdoing, there's a consequence for their action. There, there may be time out or, or spanking, or they may lose a privilege or whatever else, depending on their age and what works for each child. But I know, deep down, those consequences for those actions won't fix their real problem. Their real problem is a heart issue, a heart that's rebellious against God, a heart that, that wants to do its own thing, even though they know the consequences of their action could be negative. And so here, at the end of this chapter, he's showing that not only is he punishing the sinful, he's making a way for the people in the land to be free from wickedness, like never before. And instead, he's taking that, that sin, that wickedness, he's returning it to Babylon, and once it reaches Babylon, they're going to worship it. They're going to set up a temple toward the wickedness and glorify it. And guess what happens when people glorify wickedness? They're going to receive the fullness of their choices and consequences for their actions. And God says, let me deal with Babylonia. Let them in due time receive what they've chosen. But for you, you can be free. And that lead lid says, in the time of Christ, when Jesus died and rose again, he made a way for us to be free from that sinful nature. 
We can, we can now have victory through Jesus Christ to face the temptation, and we're all going to face temptation. Temptation is not sin. We're going to face temptation, and we can stand in victory and truth and have life. We need to believe that this message is for us today. And let's not forget that we are survivors ourselves. We are survivors this morning, and we are survivors not of someone else's sin, but of our own sin. (laughs) Because of God's grace and his patience, we are here today. And so as much as we want God's justice and judgment to fall, thank God it didn't fall sooner, right? Because God has been gracious to us and patient with us. Today, the message has been written in the sky. God's justice is coming and his judgment will fall. And so, first of all, our reaction is we need to repent ourselves. Now, some of us need to start our journey with Jesus, and that starts with initial repentance. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do things on my own, and I give you my life. I accept your death for my death, and I want a new life with you starting today. But the process of sanctification in a believer is that the Holy Spirit will continue to show us things in our life that we've, the patterns of sin that have been there for a while, or sometimes we adopt new things, right? We get new habits. We get new thought patterns that aren't glorifying to God because we live in a fallen world. And so the process of that sanctifying work is for us to perpetually ask Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. Even the sacrificial system was set up for unintentional sin where in our prayer time, whether it's in the morning or night, in the middle of the day, you can say, God, please forgive me when I have sinned and harmed somebody unintentionally. And please forgive when I've harmed somebody intentionally. God, refine me. Make me more like you. And so as Christians, we don't live like, oh, I sinned again and I'm going to hell. Relationships don't work that way. But when you develop a pattern of doing your own thing and not hearing the voice of God and not allowing to penetrate your heart, that's when you're in risk of moving away from that relationship. But this, this, this call of ours is a call to a daily walk of pursuing him and a walk of repentance, of allowing him to wash us perpetually in the word and you'll grow and, and, and your, 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 your battles won't be the same and, and you'll discover that you're a different person. I truly believe that the overturning of, of Roe versus Wade is going to bring blessing to the states that value life. I really do. I believe that, that crops will grow, we'll have uh, health in, in a wildlife. Um, I, I believe that God's blessing is going to pour out on us in a unique way. Um, the scriptural foundation for this is found in Genesis chapter 4, where, where Cain kills Abel, right? And, and God says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And, and, and Cain's consequence from killing his brother, this farmer, the land won't yield its crops to him anymore. And so I think we're in a day and a place where we in the state of West Virginia are going to see a lot of blessing in, in our community, in our wildlife, and in, in, in the crops and all of those things. But I also think we're going to see a blessing as well in community and relationship as we're choosing God and he's bringing justice. I mean, that's a huge change in justice that has happened in our day and age. Huge, and I, and I know we're bringing it up every week, but we should. We've prayed for this. We've bled. We've we've given our lives to the dedication of that life is a value from conception to the grave. That doesn't end our battle. It it, it increases the, the the message that we have to love every individual with the love of Jesus Christ. 
And so God changes the world one individual at a time, and it starts with us. And so as God has changed you, and I know, we've all said it before, Jesus, I just, can you come back today? <laughs> I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of heartache. I'm tired of losing loved ones. I'm, I'm tired. Okay, all right. I get how you feel. But I know for me, the closer I draw to Jesus, that prayer changes. It changes to, God, can you delay one more day? <laughs> it's Abraham, right? There's no doubt Sodom and Gomorrah needed to be destroyed. <laughs> but Abraham says, for the sake of 50, 45, 40, he gets down to what, 10? point of the message is we're the sign in the sky. We're supposed to be the sign for everyone everywhere, for everyone to see. And it's not just a curse. Yes, the curse is part of it. <laughs> we got to tell people about the curse because the curse will cause them to live forever in damnation. The flip side of it is grace and love and truth. And so, yes, we're on a timetable. Judgment's falling. The flyers have fallen from the sky. We, instead of them falling down, we've seen the resurrected Christ ascending to heaven. And he says, I'm going to come back the same way. Our urgency now is for all those who are lost and dying, who don't know the truth, to hear the truth from our lips. In love. In love. God can reach the greatest of sinners. Paul says, I am the greatest of sinners. In my zeal, I thought I was honoring God, but I persecuted Christians, I imprisoned them, and I approved of their death. There is no one, no one that Jesus didn't die for. And so let this be an encouragement to us. Do you remember that message I preached? I preached it again at youth camp about the stone and the vial of nard, the same uh, spice used to anoint Jesus' feet, the woman that washed his feet with her hair. You can't receive that means of grace until you give up your rights to justice. This message is the same way. God says, my justice is going to fall. Those that need to pay will pay. I've got this. This isn't just on a governmental scale. Guys, some of us have been deeply wounded by the church by brothers and sisters in Christ. And we as Christians, we don't know how to handle that. Well, Scripture helps us out with that. Because look at Saul and David. Saul, the king of Israel, God's anointed one. His father-in-law goes nuts, wants to kill his own son-in-law, chases him all over God's good earth. Meanwhile, David is helping people, feeding people, fighting Saul's battles from invading forces in the Philistines, and Saul just wants to kill him. And when David has an opportunity to make him pay, what does he do? He cuts a corner of his robe and then has to apologize for it. And then when he gets the news that Saul has been killed, the messenger gladly says, hey, your enemy's been killed. I killed him myself. He asked me to. You know what David does? He has that man slain. How dare you come to me with news of Saul? being killed. That was God's anointed. 
How can a guy like David, knowing he's the next king, have that kind of love to a guy like Saul because he shares the heart of God? That says, I'll live in caves if it means you have a chance to get right with God. I'll face hatred and spears thrown at me and all the rest. I'll ignore all of it so that you have a chance to experience the love of Jesus Christ. See, that's the call of a Christian. When we know that God's going to bring his justice and he keeps the record of wrongs and we don't need to, then we're free. And and instead of being poisoned and changed and looking like those that, that hurt us, he enables us to be people who are banners in the sky, vehicles of love, and revival breaks out. Holy Spirit, fire. Jesus, let us receive this message today. I hear you, Lord. You're telling me to shut up. I'm going to do it. Do your work. Help us to respond. Amen. Worship team, if you'll come forward and lead us.